And now, back to life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness with your hosts on Here I Stand. And welcome back to Here I Stand. In uh, this short segment, we are going to be discussing uh, eschatology again. We've done two previous shows, fuller shows, about uh, 80, 90 minutes worth. In this shorter segment, we're going to tackle the question, what is the most challenging part of your end times or eschatological belief? Uh, What is the most challenging aspect in terms of uh, interpreting and understanding what Scripture says? That's the bottom line. Uh, What what does Scripture say about these matters? So I'll start uh, with my post-trib, post-millennial position. I want to say that maybe what is the greatest challenge is how my position understands some of the Old Testament prophetic passages, whether they are found in Isaiah uh, or Zechariah, uh, somewhat from Ezekiel. Uh, How do we understand these prophetic passages which seem to speak of a restoration of Israel in ways that uh, would suggest, oh, these have not been, uh, these have not been fulfilled. And uh, you, you get into the nuts and bolts, not only of just end times matters, but just you're digging into the heart of the Old Testament. Uh, the language is, is rich. The language is, is sometimes challenging uh, just uh, from an interpretive level. And then we, we try to take that to the eschatological level. Now, the basic understanding of many of those passages is that they are fulfilled in Christ and in the work that he does in the church with both Jew and Gentile. That, that's uh, the basic understanding that's covering a lot of ground. So in a sense, they are spiritualized. I'll just use that, uh, use that term. And, and people call attention to that and say, well, why is there so much detail if they're just all spiritualized? So uh, without trying to give a full explanation, I want to say that is probably, at least from my vantage point, uh, one of the greatest uh, challenges. There are others. But uh, I'll just, in, in terms of full disclosure and full honesty, I would say that that is one of the central ones. I'll, I'll move on to you, your confession now, James. Okay, and let me just add on to your confession just a little bit. I heard this one guy, when he talked about uh, scriptures in, in the fulfillment in the first and second coming, he said you would, you would do it together. And, and the question was, did Jesus ride into Jerusalem on a spiritual donkey or a literal donkey? <laughs> and so, so he, he, he added that. But I, I got you. I understand. And, and I would say in terms of Zechariah 8 and 9, do we put <laughs> two, 3,000 years in between those two verses? <laughs> yeah, but it's still, it's still forecasting prophecies yet to be fulfilled about the coming Christ. But I, I, I understand. I got you. Well, no, I'm saying in between those two verses, there's a gap of 3,000 years maybe? Yeah, but it's the same, it's the same it, spirit, the prophecy of the coming Well, no, I'm saying in one. Technically, technically, James, James, you're hitting after the bell on that one. We 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 received this confession and you're slamming them down. But but I can answer that two thousand year thing. But I'll wait till my turn to answer. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But but I'm saying just to add to what you're saying. But I I got you. I got. So here here was my, as a post, trib pre mill, position. I do believe there is a little seven year. Tribulation. I do believe there's a literal uh, thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth from Jerusalem to all the world. He rules in Jerusalem. I would say the greatest 
I guess, problem uh, in the interpretation of Scripture is the suddenness of his second coming. Uh, and the thought goes like this, like, like a, a, a woman in birth pain, suddenly it shall come upon you. Um, and the, the argument goes to where if, if, if that's speaking of Christ is coming back, Christ coming back, if you have a literal seven-year tribulation with Christ coming back after the seven-year tribulation, then everyone knows it's about seven years. That's it's right. not a sudden upon you thief of the night type of thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, even though I can say that, if you look again in Revelation 16, when he's pouring out all of the, the wraths on the earth, and in, in 16, I believe it was 15, verse 15, he still uses, I'm coming like a thief language. He still uses it after they're in the tribulation. But the way you understand that from my possession position is that he's seen the seven year tribulation as his coming as, as, as one unit. It's as uh, when the seven years starts Daniel's 70th week, that is what he's saying shall come upon you uh, uh, suddenly without warning. He sees that all as that 70th, 70th week. He sees that as one unit. And it's I think a synecdoche. That, I'm sorry. A synecdoche is the the word where where one thing refers to the whole. And yeah, I didn't even know there was an official that. word for that. So yes. Yeah, you <laughs> see that in uh, in various parts of scripture. Okay. And yeah. So that that, think, that, yeah. that is how it's interpreted. But I, I I can totally understand people saying, seeing that the the the, the post trib pre mill does not lend itself to the 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 uh, the suddenness catching people off guard, so I, I get that. But again, I think Scripture does speak of of that seventieth week of Daniel being what's going to catch you off guard. So, yeah, and I think we could wrap it up right here because uh, after the two of you just confessed uh, the weakness of your views, I think that just confirms my view Not that James' view lacks imminency. <laughs> and Calvin's view uh, takes the, uh, the prophecies uh, of the Old Testament and Israel's restoration lightly. We could just now move on to the next segment. No, I, I'm going to take a little bit of a different um, approach to um, the weakness of my view. And, and to quote the Apostle Paul about the weakness of the law, I'm going to say it's the flesh. And I, I don't know, uh, I, I know if you wanted me to give an answer, the weakness to the uh, eschatological view or the hermeneutical approach to uh, my eschatology, I could tell you that there's a struggle in Matthew 24 um, and, and uh, the idea that that did sound, you know, imminent, like it would be that generation. There's other places. Um, I, I really don't think that my view in James is terribly different. I mean, if you think that the, the, the rapture and the second coming is the same event, that's not something I don't think I could live with if I'm wrong on that. Um, however, uh, I want to bring in a special witness um, on the side of the prosecution for my view. And James, um, this witness um, is really a witness against you as well. And I think he's, uh, he's done a very good job so uh, to, to, pr to present the weakness of my view, I offer um, the jury um, 
Pastor Douglas Wilson, who recently was on a uh, podcast with a couple gentlemen, I think it was called the Rebel Rebel Alliance or something like that. And here is a, about a minute clip of Pastor Doug Wilson talking about eschatology. Eschatology can be summed up into the two basic approaches. And I'm quoting a line from Gary North many years ago. He said there's basically two views. There's pessimillennialism and optimillennialism. Right. Uh, <laughs> and pessimillennialism says that it doesn't much matter what we do. We're going to lose anyway. It's all going to burn, man. It's all going down. Look at this. The devil took over something else. Here we are right on schedule. Right. That why Paulus brass on a sinking ship mentality. So if you've ever had the misfortune of playing on a sports team that was convinced going into the game that they were going to lose, well, that's like giving the opponent 10 points right off the bat. You need to play to win. And you can't play to win if you have an eschatology that says, by definition, we can't win. By definition, not only is the devil against us, but so are all the holy prophets. You know, <laughs> um, Then you play that way. You play with that in mind. And guess what? You hit what you aim at, right? You aim at retreat. You aim at loss. You aim at trying to minimize your losses. That's what you eke out. If you read the scriptures, as I'm convinced the straightforward reading of the scriptures does, and we sum it up as we win, they lose. The earth will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen. The Great Commission will be successfully fulfilled. All the nations will turn and come to Christ. All the nations will be discipled. This planet is going to be a Christian planet. This world is going to be a Christian world prior to the second coming of Christ. Amen. That was Pastor Doug Wilson. Yeah, I knew you'd get an amen in there. I think it's a strong argument. I think there are weaknesses to it. For for example, uh, well, James, you look like you want to jump in right away. But I think it's a weak argument. <laughs> okay. I'll... I'm going to say this. I only saw a minute of it. And maybe he has a lot more scripture and, and explanation. But to simply say, well, I, I think I'm going to be an optimist. So this is going to be my view. I mean, it doesn't explain away uh, when the Son of Man comes, comes, will he find faith on the earth? I mean, there are those types of scripture you have to mm -hmm. deal with. So, again, it's only a minute clip, uh, you know. Well, you know, at the end, here's, I, I think, the strength of his clip. I think the weakness of it is at the end he says, um, this is our view. We win. They lose. Well, that's my view, too. And all, all, view too. all those verses yeah. he said about uh, the knowledge of God covering the globe. I, yeah. I agree with everything until the last yeah. statement that it must yeah. take place before the second coming. Yeah. We would just argue all that will take place after the, the second coming and after the, the put down of the second rebellion, really, yeah. of uh, a Satan. But yeah. having said that, I think there's a strength here. And I've seen it. I've seen people who, um, who take our view, my view of eschatology, and they use it as an alibi to sit this one out and uh, to, to not be concerned, or, or almost like, um, you know, like they're watching a movie and we're just sitting in the gallery and we're, you know, we got a great seat to watch all this uh, crumble and burn. And, but Jesus is, uh, you know, the, the Calvary coming around the bend and we'll be rescued. We won't burn. Don't worry about it. And I do see how a misunderstanding, uh, I would argue, of, of, uh, of the, the pre-trib, pre-millennial eschatology can lead you to that error. And um, that error is prevalent in a lot of places, and it's disturbing to me. So I, I would say that's the weakness of my view. He's right about that when, when, 
you know, if you have it in the process of your mind, well, it's supposed to get worse before Christ returns. Um, then you, then do you really care when you see the meat rotting, right? And and are you really fulfilling uh, the obligation that you have uh, to Christ and His Church to be the salt and the light uh, when it appears more like that kind of like that refrigerator that's been unplugged? There's no no light and no salt. John, it's an yeah. argument. Uh, decrying the fail, the weakness of humanity. It's not a scriptural argument, though. Well, that, that's what Paul argued was the weakness of the law, was the flesh. And I, I, I'm saying the, the weakness of my view is, is, is the flesh in believers who, who don't take their calling seriously. Based on that, they're basing it on eschatology, not, not on anything else, not on any other doctrine, not on the doctrine of the church or anything else. They're basing it on, well, well, you know... Um, the, the mark of the beast and all, all this kind of stuff. And, and it, it's disturbing. Every, it, it makes me cringe. It makes me wince. So uh, anyway, I don't know how we're going to conclude this, but I, I think we've all been fair in picking apart our pieces and convincing the audience that they should have no eschatology now. Um, no, um, it, it is an area that I, I think iron does sharpen iron. I, I think I've been challenged by some of the things that James has, has mentioned about his view. I've certainly been challenged by some of the things that Calvin said. I think that these men that we've been, that, that all three of us have, have um, played nice. In other words, w- when I see this thing happen in other circles, people are vicious about it. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it does not bring glory to God. And it, mm-hmm. it's, it's not um, something that uh, I would even want my children to see. Um, mm-hmm. But I think you you guys have both been fair and, and honest, and we haven't pulled any punches, but we haven't taken any cheap shots. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how you need to approach this, folks. And uh, remember, Bible first before you go into the, the, the so-called experts, because the experts, none of them agree. The people in our position don't all agree, you know, on, on things. They don't all agree. And you can learn from other men. I've learned from uh, other men who I don't fully agree with, and I'm, I'm grateful that they line my shelves. However, um, the Bible should be the first place that you, uh, that you take out the spade. Amen. Well, check out our other episodes and continue following us. Here I stand, radio and the Christian Emergency League. God bless. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye.